You know, I think that we need to start instituting a new thing that once a month we sing happy birthday to all of the people that we see. Because we had a list on the back of the bulletin, right? Sing happy birthday to every, no? Yes? No? Yes? No? Wow, this, this really helps me with my sermon this morning. I'm, I'm really liking this. This is great so far. Um, before I start, uh, I just, I want to share with you, uh, not anything in specific, but uh, have you ever felt attacked? Anybody ever felt attacked, especially by, by Satan attacked? Um, that's how I felt for a lot of this week, for, for many different reasons. Um, and to be honest, I was not able to focus on constructing a sermon for this morning. And I kept feeling attacked, and I kept feeling attacked, and I just couldn't, I, I, I didn't sleep well. You guys know when, you, when you're stressed, you don't sleep well. And I had trouble falling asleep, and then I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and then I was tired all week. And then yesterday happened. And God put into my life several people who along the way helped me to defend myself against these attacks, helped me to comfort myself. Uh, they, they comforted me, they, they encouraged me, and I'm just, I'm so thankful for that. And if you've ever had somebody who has, has been there at just the right time to, to help you to kind of walk through that storm, walk through that hell almost, you know what a special thing that is. And I could feel the Holy Spirit in every conversation I had, in every encounter that I had. It was just incredible. So incredible, in fact, that this morning I was able to wake up and at least put some thoughts down for a sermon this morning. I did not get slides done. Sorry, um, you're gonna have to actually use those little books in the backs of the pews. They're called Bibles, and uh, I know sometimes we forget what they look like, uh, you know, or you can use your Bible app. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a progressive guy. If you have a Bible app, you can use that when we come to the scriptures that we're going to be reading today. Um, but this morning we are continuing uh, on our journey with Jesus, and we started this journey several weeks ago, and we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, last week we saw Jesus practicing prayer. Jesus practiced prayer at different times in different places. He prayed for different people and the things that were happening in their lives. I mean, imagine Jesus praying for you. Like he prayed for Peter when uh, he knew that Satan was going to attack him. And Jesus prayed for Peter. And we know today, if we read scripture, that Jesus continues to intercede for us with the Father. He's sitting right next to God the Father, and he is praying for us. He is interceding for us. So prayer is one of the ways that Jesus showed us and practiced worship. The worship of God the Father. And Jesus tells a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and we're in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman that he's run into, and Jesus is tired. 
and he is thirsty, and he has sent his disciples off to go get something to eat because he's hungry. And this Samaritan woman comes to a well that Jesus is sitting at. And Jesus starts talking to her, talking to her about God, talking to her about the kingdom of heaven, because that's what Jesus talked about all the time. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says this to the woman, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And when we read the, the word worship in the Bible, whether we're reading the, 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 the Greek word or the Hebrew word, wherever we find it in the Bible, the definition of worship is the act of attributing reverent honor and homage to God, or homage, depending on how you pronounce it. Jesus teaches us that we are to practice this reverent honor and homage to God. He talks about it in the way that we pray. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about prayer, and he actually starts by talking about what not to do. This is how you should not pray. Don't pray like these people because they've got it wrong. When you pray, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you recognize those words? The Lord's Prayer is what we call it. And regardless of whether we are Christian or not, if we have ever been to a funeral, sometimes if we go to weddings, the Lord's Prayer is prayed. And a lot of people know it, even if they don't know him. Jesus tells us to address God as our Father in heaven. We know where he is. We know who he is. He's our Father. And then he tells us that we should show reverent honor and homage to him. Hallowed be your name. And the word hallowed means something that is treated as holy or something that is revered. Some of you have uh, attended prestigious colleges. And when you walk around the campus, somebody will say, look, at these are the hallowed halls of Harvard. And it's meant to invoke this idea of reverence, this idea that we are supposed to, to respect this place. And hallowed here in the prayer means we are supposed to be reverent towards God because he is worthy of our worship. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people, particularly those who do not have a relationship with God. And some will actually go so far as to ask questions like, or, or make statements like, if God exists, he is unworthy of worship because dot, dot, dot. And there are many reasons that, uh, that people who maybe don't believe in God or are angry with God might say that God is not worthy of worship. And the most popular argument 
is this uh, logical uh, deduction of a philosopher named Epicurus who lived in the 300s and 200s BC, long time ago, before Jesus was born. And he was talking about God. And we've come to know this uh, statement of his as the trilemma of evil. And in this statement, this is what Epicurus says. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. If he is able, but not willing, then he is malevolent. If he is both willing and able, then whence comes evil? Is he neither able nor willing, then why call him God? And atheists hold on to this statement. They use this um, as an argument to try to convince the world that God, if he exists at all, which they don't believe he does, but it, okay, if it's, let's say he exists. He's certainly not worthy of our praise and our worship. And they think that this, is, this was a, a, just a profound idea from this philosopher from 200 and something BC. But this idea and this reality existed millennia before Epicurus was even born. In Genesis chapter three, the serpent is in the garden of Eden and he makes the same kinds of statements and he asks the same kinds of questions and makes these accusations against God. Did God tell you that you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, no, just this one tree. Oh, just that one tree. Well, why would God want to hide that one tree from you? Why wouldn't he want you to eat from that one tree? What's he hiding? He's got a big secret and he doesn't want you to know about it. But I'm going to tell you the secret. See, God knows that if you eat that tree, eat the fruit from that tree, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. He wants you to be like you and he wants to keep you under his thumb and he doesn't want you to do anything that you want to do. What kind of God would want to withhold that wonderfulness this goodness from his children to be able to be like him. Whence cometh evil? That's Epicurus's question. God gives us commandments, instructions, because, not because he wants to hold us under his thumb, not because he wants to control us, but because he wants to free us, because he wants to protect us us and God knows that if there are things that we do some of those things are not going to be good for us and he tells us don't eat of the tree of that fruit it's not going to be good for you convincing humans that God's instruction is worthless or that it actually means that he is doing us wrong that this God is not worthy of reverence or worship or obedience to his instructions, hence cometh evil. Whence cometh evil? Believe that God doesn't exist. Hence cometh evil. When we come to the realization that we have rebelled against God, against his commandments, against his instruction, but that Jesus Christ provides a way to reconcile that relationship, to bring us back together with God, 
through the work that he did, through his death and resurrection, we come to understand whence cometh evil. And we come to know that God is indeed worthy of our worship. He is worthy of being known as a good and a perfect God. So how do we worship this good and this perfect God? We worship God in prayer. Jesus showed us that when we pray, we remind ourselves that we are praying to the God who is worthy of worship, of reverence and homage. Jesus tells us when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Remind yourself, because God doesn't need to hear that. We are to remind ourselves that God is worthy of reverence and honor and worship. And Jesus also tells us in that passage in John that we read at the beginning that we are to worship God in truth. Jesus tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he also tells us that he has come to be the fulfillment of what God has told his people. The truth of God's word, the law and the prophets, is what Jesus called them. We call it the Old Testament. And when Jesus says he is truth, what he means is that we can believe and rely on his words, the ones that we read in the gospel, and we can also rely and trust on the words of God in the Old Testament. We can trust the scriptures. And we worship God when we read and we study his word. And we've talked about this church many, many times. We should be studying and reading God's word. And Jesus modeled that for us too. In this journey with Jesus that we're going, Jesus showed us everything that we needed to do. First, we know that as a Jew, Jesus would have memorized the Torah because that's what every child uh, by the time they were 12 or 13, every Jewish child had memorized what we know as the first five books of the Bible. And as a teacher, Jesus then went on and he learned how to read and interpret and teach those scriptures. And he went on past the, 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 the law, the Torah, and he learned the prophets and the histories and all the rest of the Old Testament. And he would go into a synagogue much I won't say much like, but kind of like church today. And he would get up and he would read a scripture passage from a scroll. And then he would teach on what that particular passage meant. But see, there were no Bibles in Jesus's day. All the scripture were written down on scrolls. And scrolls were expensive. They cost a lot in time and in money because they had to use this expensive ink and they had to use this expensive parchment and they had to have people, we, we didn't have a printing press, people literally sat down and wrote out the scriptures for each set of scrolls. And it took years. So people didn't have Bibles. They memorized the Torah, so they had the first five books of the Bible that we know in their minds. They might not have known what it meant, but they had it in their minds. And then they would go to synagogue and they would listen to interpretation or they would go to the temple maybe on a different day and there would be teachers there teaching and expounding on scripture and talking about, well, this is what this means and this is how we live our lives based on this scripture. 
And a lot of times in small towns like East Berlin, if East Berlin were in first century uh, uh, Israel, uh, we wouldn't have our own scrolls. We would share scrolls with like, um, you know, three or four other towns around us and we would transport them to the different places. We wouldn't have our own. So it was very difficult for people to study the Bible unless they were in person, unless they were being taught. Today, did you know it's estimated that today there are over five billion Bibles in print? Five billion. A lot of families, and I'm guessing maybe some families here, even at Morning Hour Chapel, have multiple Bibles in their house. If you're a pastor, man, you got like two dozen Bibles in your house or in your study or your office. We have a lot of Bibles. And if we don't, if we don't have a Bible, <laughs> press one button to unlock my phone, press another button to get to my apps, go to B, Bible, boom. It's right here. How many of you have your phone with you at all times? Don't lie. You're in church. How many of you have your phones with you at all times? Now, students, I know you're not supposed to have them in class, right? But you have them. They're in your bag. Or they're in your back pocket. Or they're under the table and you're doing this while your teacher's like looking at you. We have the entire Bible in dozens and dozens of different translations right here in the palm of our hand. And we're playing Wordle. And we're looking at YouTube videos of cats. <laughs> it is so easy for us to access the scripture, to access the words that God spoke to us. And it is so hard to access the scripture and the words that God said to us. It is so hard for us to pick up the Bible. It is so hard for us even to press a couple of buttons on our phone and read the Bible. Bible study is a way for us to show that we, it's a way of worship. It's a way of telling God, yes, I believe your words. I believe that they are my authority for the way I should live my life. I believe you spoke these words. And because of that, you are worthy of reverence and homage and worship. Bible study is a way that we worship God. How else do we worship God? In modern times, and this is kind of where we're going to live for the rest of the day. In modern times, if I ask somebody uh, in church, when, what do you think of when you think of worship? What do you think of? Music. We even call it worship music. We call them the worship team and the worship leaders. And we think of the music. And music is an important aspect of worshiping God. When Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, he says this, Be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, before he went off to die, we read in Mark chapter 14, after supper, they sung a hymn, and then they went to the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane was, where he was going to be arrested. They sang a hymn. The hymn is a song of praise. We sang some hymns this morning. I don't know about you, but I love listening to the hymns. I love it, especially when I hear people starting to try to harmonize, whether you can do it well or not. It's just, it's just, I'm so thankful that we have these hymns, and I'm thankful that we have Marion here and Carolyn here who have been leading our hymns for years and years. Because when we sing hymns, we are worshiping God through our praise, through that praise song. And when we have our praise team up here with all of their instruments and singing what some people call the modern stuff, we're also worshiping God. And I know, and <laughs> this is why I asked about the happy birthday at the beginning of the, of, of the service this morning. I know there's a great divide in our churches today. I was on a, uh, Dillsburg has like its own Facebook page, right? And people can ask questions and they're looking for, you know, plumbers and things like that. And this woman posted that she was, her family just moved to the area and they're looking for a church. But she said, we're looking for a church that only sings hymns because we, we don't like the, the, the modern stuff. Same Facebook page about three months ago, I saw a post asking for a church and somebody said something like this, I'm looking for good worship music, not hymns. <laughs> I've read of churches splitting when hymns, when, when, when modern music started getting added, I've heard of churches like people would just leave. I'm not going to listen to that stuff. They'd leave because they didn't like the music that was being played to worship our Father in heaven. And even here at Morning Hour Chapel. Now, we had a family visit, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, maybe, I guess. And... Um, after the service, I guess they were talking to somebody and somebody overheard them say something to the effect of they probably wouldn't come back because they didn't like the music. And that's, you know, that's their choice. Maybe God is leading them someplace else. But our congregation, we usually sing hymns and what we call that modern stuff or uh, officially contemporary Christian music, right? Because that sounds fancy and updated. And it's an easy way to describe what we sing, hymns and contemporary music. But sometimes, younger people, when you hear the word hymn, is the first thing that pops into your mind, super old boring song. <laughs> no, none of you, really, okay. I am completely wrong, I apologize. A lot of times when we hear hymns sing, right? We hear boring old music played on an organ. <laughs> old people. 
When you hear contemporary worship, do you sometimes think heathen rock and roll noise? <laughs> People think that there's a right kind of music and a wrong kind of music that we should use to worship God. And it's true. People believe this. And I want to suggest that there is nothing further from the truth. Hymns are generally described as reverent and holy. And when you come into a church and you hear hymns being sung, and they're being and it, they're, they're usually not really fast, and they're being played just on the organ or on the organ and the piano, and we have the four-part harmony sometimes. And they're sung to evoke a certain attitude of dignity. Right? And I think that's true. I think that hymns add a certain dignity to our worship of God. But our worship of God does not always have to be dignified. King David worshiped God. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read about David and his army, and they're coming back to Jerusalem. And they're carrying with them the Ark of the Covenant, the one thing that they carried with them through the desert for 40 years that contained the Ten Commandments and it contained a, a, a small vial with manna from heaven, these supernatural things that God gave to us. And they would carry them in this Ark of the Covenant. And it had been stolen in war from them. And they reclaimed it. They rescued it. And they're coming through the streets of Jerusalem. And they're carrying this Ark. And we read in 2 Samuel 6.14, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. An ephod was a sleeveless garment like an apron that the priests would use in their in their priestly duties. And David was dancing in the streets of Jerusalem, right out in the open, for everybody to see. And his wife looked out the window, and it upset his wife that he was so ill-clad and dancing in the streets, much like when I go to Giant with Wendy and I start singing and dancing in the aisles. She doesn't like it very much. And we read about his wife's reaction in uh, 2 Samuel 6, in, in verse 16. It says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. And we skip down to verse 20. David finally is, they get the ark all set up and they're doing all the praise and worship and all of these things. David finally comes home and he said, and it says, David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And I can imagine she said it in just that way, although it might have sounded different in Hebrew. <laughs> and listen to what David said to his wife. It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house 
to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. What David is saying here is, Michael, I love you. You're my wife. But I will become nothing in your eyes. And I'll be happy to do it if it means worshiping God with everything that is in me. David's worship. He's dancing in the street and they're blowing horns and they're shouting and he's half naked apparently. It was not dignified. He was not singing a hymn. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I love that song by the way. It was a rock and roll show there folks and he was dancing in the streets. And he was worshiping God with all his might. Using every part of him. His voice, his body, his spirit. When's the last time you worshiped God with all your might? I can't think, I can't remember the last time I did it. I think... The last time I, I really did come something close is when the praise team sings, I am free. Anybody remember the song, I am free? That song that says, I am free to run. I am free to dance. I am free to worship you. And I can't help it. I try. I try to remain dignified. But you know what? When that song starts, I am ready to run and I am ready to dance. Right, Steve? I think that's how Steve got his back injury. I pulled him out into the aisles and we started to dance. If that's true, I'm sorry. But sometimes we need to let go of our dignity. We need to stop thinking about how we look to other people. And that's all it is. We talk about it being dignity and being dignified. What it means is, I want everyone to look at me and think well of me. That's not what David wanted. David wanted to worship God with all of his might. And the Bible tells us that we should also worship God with every talent that we have. And I know that there are some folks in here that do not like the modern stuff. You don't like the modern instruments. You don't like the modern songs. I've been to churches where people hate the keyboards and they hate the electric guitars and they hate the drums, <laughs> which is very sad for me as a drummer. I'm guessing one or two people in here might think the same thing. I, we could really do without some of that stuff, especially the drums. <laughs> Pastor Joe's really not that good anyway. <laughs> but let me tell you something. We read in Psalm 150. I want you to turn to Psalm 150. Get your Bible out. Get your Bible app out. Press those buttons. I don't care what you're doing. I want you to look at the passage. Psalm 150 it is the very last psalm in the book of Psalms. I want you to read these words with me as I'm reading them. You don't have to read them out loud unless you want to, depending on how dignified you want to be. 
Give me a thumbs up when you're there. This is what I do in school. Give me a thumbs up when you finish doing this thing. Okay, give me a thumb sideways if you're still looking. Um, that's what I do. Give me a thumbs down if you're just like, just shut up. Um, all right. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And I know you're reading a different version, so I'm sorry. You don't have to keep reading out loud if you don't want to. But I'm going to continue reading. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe and brethren in Christ peoples. The heads are starting to explode already. And that's before we get to praise him with the sounding symbols. Praise him with the loud clashing symbols. And then this last part. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. And then he ends it with another praise the Lord. How many of you have never read that passage before? I don't know about you, but this passage fires me up a little bit. And I'm sorry if I get a little Pentecostal here. But praise him with the lute and the harp. Sometimes this is translated as the lyre and the harp. L-Y-R-E, not lyre like lyre. The lyre was an instrument that was invented in 3500 B.C. It looked like a box with strings. And people would pluck on the strings and play the music. The harp was invented a thousand years later. And we all know the harp hasn't really changed much. We all kind of know what a harp looks like. It's very ornate and it looks beautiful. And it's got more different kinds of notes and strings and things like that. They're different instruments from a different time. And we're told to praise God with both of them. Some of us are okay with the acoustic guitar. You know, that folk guitar music that sometimes we call it, right? Or just, you know, <laughs> young people, it's called unplugged. But we loathe the electric guitar. Don't we? Some of us do. We don't like the sound, but these are simply the modern day lyre and harp. They were created at different times. They're created to make different sounds. And all of those sounds can be used to worship God. The psalmist is telling us, praise God with everything that you have. If you have an old-fashioned lyre, play it. If you have a newfangled harp, play it. And don't worry about what anybody says. If you're worshiping God. Praise the Lord with the tambourine and the dance. The tambourine is a percussion instrument. You know what that is. Got little symbols all the way around it, and you shake it, and it makes a nice sound. Some of you may not know what dance is, um, but that's okay. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. The pipe is the flute. Praise him with sounding symbols. Praise him with loud clashing symbols. More percussion. Do we have to have the symbols? Yes! Let everything that has breath 
Praise the Lord. Are you breathing this morning? Anybody here not breathing? I got my phone right here. If you are breathing, that is a reason to praise the Lord because he is the one who breathed life into us. It is God's breath that we are breathing. We're alive. And we are alive for the purpose of serving the great and the good God. We ought to praise him with prayer. We ought to praise him with study. We ought to praise him with hymns. We ought to praise him with dance. Don't worry. We'll give you lessons. We ought to praise him with all that modern stuff, too. We should praise God with everything. Because everything comes from God. The risk of sounding Pentecostal. Can you say praise the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. <laughs> At the risk of sounding like we love God this morning, can you say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Our God is worthy of worship and praise because of nothing more than that we are alive. And God has given us music as a way to worship him. And I want you to think about this in, the, in, in closing. Think about the next time you go outside. Listen. How many of you are excited that the robins have started returning? Signaling spring. How did most of you realize that the robins had started returning? You heard the music. You heard the song. And if this psalm is to be believed, the robins are praising God in the way that they know how. And that's the way we should be praising God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for breath. We thank you that you even though you didn't need to create us, you did. We thank you that you created us with music in our hearts and that you even created some of us with talent for playing and singing music. But Father, you tell us to make a joyful noise before you. We know that you are worthy to be praised. We know that you are worthy to be worshiped. And whether that worship is dignified or undignified, we know that it is acceptable to you that you love hearing our worship. Father, help us to worship you in every way, in prayer, in Bible study, in music, in simple obedience to your will, which is the ultimate way that we worship you. Father, we thank you so much for this church. Thank you for this time that we could be together to praise you. We ask that you would bring us back together again next Sunday. And that you would help us to leave here today singing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen. Let everything that has breath 
Praise the Lord. If you are alive, you can praise him. If you are alive, you can worship him. And if you are alive, you can learn and do his good and perfect will for you. Pray that this is a reality that sets in for you this week. God bless you.